to is coming. You're listening to the Watchers of Westeros. I am the king. A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. I've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Watchers of Westeros for Season 6 of Game of Thrones. Oh, it's so nice to say those words. It's so nice to be back and be talking about new episodes of this great series. A really, a really interesting, a really a solid premiere with the Red Woman. Lots of interesting stuff going on all over the world of Game of Thrones and lots of and lots to talk about. So that's what we'll be doing here tonight on The Watchers of Westeros. But first, introductions are in order if you are new to the show or you've forgotten who we are. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he always does, it's my good friend and co-host, the award-winning Kieran Duggan. Hello again, Dominic. And our hiatus has only been two weeks. <laughs> I mean, before that, the hiatus for the last time we did a Watchers of Westeros was almost a year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, pre- almost since the time when the season five ended. But no, I think we did a couple of podcasts in between that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to be back, though, on a serious note. And I think season six has started off pretty solidly. I, I was quite happy with this episode, I have to say. A lot of answers still to be revealed, such as Jon Snow, dead or alive. I mean, obviously he's dead in this episode, but the the questions are still raised about whether he'll come back. But some interesting tidbits, I think. What were, what were your overall initial impressions, uh, Dominic, about about this episode, the premiere of season six? Yeah, overall, I thought it was a was a solid episode. I thought it was a was a good start to the season. I, I, I quite, I, I enjoyed most of it. <laughs> I, I really liked the stuff at the wall, the stuff in, uh, uh, um, the stuff with Arya and, and Bravos. I enjoyed that. Uh, of course, Jamie and, and Cersei being brought back together. That's, that was all very, uh, very interesting. The stuff with Danny and the Dothraki was great. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, Dorne is still <laughs> it, it, Dorne. It's, it's interesting. There's, they've got, I, I I see a little bit more potential there this season after um, things went south fast there uh, last season and yeah overall it looks to be a looks to be a good start to the season like you said still some questions that need answered specifically Jon Snow also uh, still no Bran making this eleven episodes since his last appearance uh, but he is they do mention him in the description for next week so we should see lots more of him. And, and yeah, overall, a, a really, a really solid start to season six. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, well, this this episode actually reminded me of an epilogue almost, mm. or of season five. I can remember at the end of season three, we had obviously episode nine was the big red wedding, and in episode ten, felt like 
an epilogue of, of of the Red Wedding, kind of talking about the ramifications of the Red Wedding and getting the perspectives of different characters about the death of Rob Stark and and his mother Catelyn. Mm-hmm. A little bit similar to how this episode, I think, starts off, where we go straight back to the wall. Jon Snow's body is lying in the snow, and yeah. then we hear the wolf growl. So Davos walks out, and we have the whole episode, really, up at the wall at least, of just talking about Jon Snow's death and, and the repercussions that has now had on the Night's Watch. We've also had repercussions about Marcella's death in season five with Jamie and Cersei talking. And we've even had ramifications in Dawn to what the Sand Snakes plot really entailed. Marcella was only part one of a much larger coup. So I think it's interesting. And the epilogue, I think, was a good way to start this season to kind of get people back on the right road. And I almost forgot about the whole Danny stuff with obviously her with the Dothraki and Tyrion and, and Varys now in Marine and Arya now blind. So I feel like it, it kind of started us off on this new journey for season six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, it is kind of interesting because a lot of the plot lines do feel like they are, uh, they yeah, epilogue for for last season is a really good way of putting it. Whereas other ones feel, you know, like, like they are the kickoff of a season. And, and so in some ways, if I had a criticism of the episode outside of, of some of the Dorn stuff, it is is it does feel a little bit uneven at at times you know the 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 davos stuff that feels you know that feels right that feels proper uh the Arya stuff that feels right the danny stuff that feels right uh but really i mean the dorn stuff feels like it's just kind of uh an epilogue to last season uh the sansa and brienne stuff i i almost feel like that should have been in the finale last season instead of just ending with uh Sansa and Theon jumping off that wall, which I mean, if 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 Miranda dies and is all beaten up and, and bruised and whatnot, shouldn't they have like broken their legs at least? <laughs> There's, a, I mean, you know, being a bit, you know, kind of picky there, but it, it does seem a little bit strange. You know, maybe they could have shown them landing in a snowdrift or something just to just to appease uh just to appease me but 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 overall that i do i did really enjoy that story so let's let's go um region by region and let's start in the north where uh i guess the most important stuff in the episode happens with the night's watch uh since that's the only stuff that gets two scenes it kind of bookends the episode <laughs> and, well it is i mean i was reading a review of, of, of the episode and they pointed that out i'm like huh I guess that is right. You know, that is the only place we went back to in the episode. Cause we start like you, you get the sense that like, it's only been 12 hours or so since John died, since he was stabbed. Like if that, it, like I almost got this, the sense that this was like 15 minutes later and Davos had just like happened to wander out and Oh my God, there's Jon Snow lying. Can I just say dead. what made me laugh about it? And I, it's only a small thing, but what was Davos doing while this was all happening? Because like yeah. you say, it seemed like it was a duration of maybe an hour or so. <laughs> I mean, was he not thinking, oh, what's that noise outside? And then he didn't go out for that. And yet here he was just sitting down and the wolf makes a noise. And he's like, oh, I better go and check outside now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> is... Everybody else started running down. It was <laughs> it was quite uh, timely. But apart from that, I thought it was a great scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess that is the, the, the one issue with... You know, ending the season on that is is that like you know you 
for the characters, it's only been a little bit of time. Like it's only been at most like a night, like 12 hours. Um, but for us, it's been a really long time. So it is kind of strange to then be sort of thrust right back into that, that moment, not even just the world, but that moment and, and have to recall, uh, the emotion of that. It, it, if it had just been a week, it might have been different, but different. But since it's been ten months, that was you're right. That was a little bit jarring, but it was it was very well done. It was great to have Davos and and Ed and a few other of the the Night's Watchmen, you know, guarding John's body. Uh, I'm surprised that they they held off on the confrontation with Sir Alistair and the rest of the the Night's Watch. I'm so kind of surprised they held off on that till next ep- till another episode. I won't say next episode. You never know. Um, but, uh, they, they hold it off yeah. for another episode. <laughs> yeah, they get, well, okay, well, here's a question. Here's a question I've seen some people asking. If we assume that Jon Snow is going, going to be resurrected, how long do you think they're going to make us wait for that? Do you think that this is something that happens in episode two, episode three, or more like episode eight or nine of this season? The issue with Game of Thrones is the timing often depends on what the central focus is for the season. Because if you can remember last season, we had a massive build-up to this big fight between Stannis and the Boltons, Mm -hmm. which in the end took a whole season to get up to. And I guess for some people was quite anticlimactic. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It ended up in in, in Stannis being killed off. And and so something did happen. The battle lasted at least on screen all of, you know, <laughs> all of a minute. You know, all of it forty-five seconds. Out, uh, the duration lasted as long as Sansa looked out that window for. Yeah, um, <laughs> which was not very long. So, <laughs> the thing is, I hope they don't keep it for too long because they ended the episode. I think actually well this this week, and I, I, I kind of what they revealed to us was enough and we'll come on to the Melisandre stuff a little bit later. Oh yeah. But the Jon Snow stuff, it won't be people won't wait forever. I think what also helps is the fact that at least now there seems to be some sort of civil war between the Night's Watch. I.e. there's stuff going on there. It's not as though Jon Snow's died and everyone carries on with their lives. There is story to it. We get to see more of Davos's character, more of Melisandre's character. Um, Alistair Ford now is kind of being that guy that the audience is obviously going to despise because he not only committed the act of, of killing Jon Snow, but now he wants to be the Lord Commander as well. And he's mm-hmm. trying to persuade everybody else to say, oh, but I never disobeyed any orders, even though he was the one who killed him. But <laughs> it's neither here nor there. I mean, hypocrisy in a Night's Watch, yeah. shock. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that it will probably be midpoint. I would say if it's not midpoint of the season, then people are going to start getting a little bit frustrated. What do you think? What's what's your thoughts on this all? I'm thinking episode three or four. I I think that's about as far as they can push it. Five would be just a bit, might be a bit much, but, 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 you know, still within reason, but it, it does seem like that's something they need to, they need to, to deal with and they need to, uh, to to move along from that so we can start heading towards you know what's more important because uh, Jon Snow being dead doesn't really help the story you know Jon Snow being alive 
pushes things for pushes thing for pushes things forward and you know the 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 main story at the wall is going to be what do we do now that john is dead uh or uh what do we do to bring back john uh and 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 that can that only has so much you know they they can only play that off for so long and it, i worry if they they stretched it for more than three or four episodes they they would really run out of material very very fast and i think the sooner they can bring him back the better so maybe 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 that will be like the cliffhanger at the end of an episode you know the end i of, don't think it'll be next week so no i have no. a feeling that next week is going to be a resolution between uh the fight between i should say alistair fawn and sir and sir davos i think that yeah probably be the conclusion to mm-hmm. next week's episode or or, or, or if the wild arc. or if the wild wildlings show up that could really yeah that could really shake things up in a big way i i, I almost would like to see that i would i would like to see that happen and and then you know i i think maybe episode three will end or episode four will end with like john snow's eyes opening and him taking a, a big breath or something and then the next episode will pick up with okay now he's alive what do we do uh, but oh it, yeah, yeah. it will take time. But it seems as though, and, and there has been allusion to it in this episode, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about it. This this whole vision in the snow, or the vision of of, of John Winterfell, it, it's it's been brought up again, hasn't it, by Melisandre? Yeah. In when when she was in the room with John's body, she said, "I saw him in the flames fighting at Winterfell," and then Sir Davos replied and said, "I can't speak." for flames but he is gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well what, what, what do you make of this whole vision thing do you think that's going to come to fruition i think it will i think you know people have speculated that uh that this season we will see some sort of fight between the wildlings and the bolton men for winterfell and i think that's where i think that's where john's vision or that's where that vision will come to fruition that we'll see john fighting there uh you know that, that's the thing about about Melisandre's visions or any visions in general is that they can't is that you know she believed it was one particular thing she believed that he was fighting alongside Stannis in the battle for Winterfell but the truth is she was seeing a completely different battle and you know it's kind of like what we talk about in Star Wars with like Anakin Skywalker and Revenge of the Sith you know he was having these visions that did come to pass they just didn't pass for the reasons that he thought they would pass. And, and, and that's, I think, what Melisandre was experiencing in this episode. Uh, but speaking of Melisandre, uh, well, we might as well talk about that reveal. That was, that was something. <laughs> I did, yeah. Did, did you see that one coming? Did you see that one coming at all? No. Well, because when I was watching the episode, I was watching with a, with a group of friends uh, at someone's house and, I didn't think it was the end of the episode. So had uh. I thought it was going to be... The, no, not to say there was anything wrong with that mm-hmm. in hindsight, but I just felt like, oh, this will just be a small scene where we look at Melisandre be, being reflective of what's happened, clearly depressed about everything, even more depressed now that Jon Snow's dead because, again, another one of her visions in her mind hasn't come true. Um, so I didn't see it coming. But the more I look at it in hindsight, the more of the reviews I've read and podcasts I've listened to and getting the views of other people, it's starting to make a lot of sense now. This idea that Melisandre would wear glamour 
and hide her true self from people because we know that she's extremely old, not just based on that visual appearance, but the the wisdom of her words, the, the, the way in which she's talked about things and her interaction with other people as well. I, I, I imagine you also got that impression that oh, yeah. she was more than just some of these other priestesses that we've seen in Marine, for example, or, or priests. They look quite young and new. Melisandre never really seemed that way, did she? And the whole shadow baby thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It, 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 the, the scene itself was a surprise in that I, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, when, when she took off the... Um, the necklace I, was, I sort of wondered okay maybe that that's something something's about to happen here you know maybe she's giving up her source of power i wasn't expecting what we got to see her that way but uh you know it does make sense that that she would have this wisdom after such a such a long life and that scene was was really well done to show you know just how you know she's had this facade for so long that she that she's been putting up but she supports stannis and all of his in all of his movements and, and, and his military action and, and to have seen, you know, to have burned Shireen alive and in order to, uh, in order to what she thought to, you know, win this war for Stannis and only to see him lose brutally, you know, her hero is gone. You know, in that moment, you just get this sense of defeat that she, she really feels like giving up and, you know, the next, uh, the next episode is really, or, or if not the next episode, the episode after that, we're going to have to see Davos basically uh, convince her to take up her power again, which is kind of ironic, right? I mean, he's the yeah. one that's been that's been putting down this power that he doesn't believe in it. He never believed in it, and then you know he's going to be the one to convince her to to take it up again so that they can revive Jon Snow. What do you think is the the source that is keeping the facade on what is there a particular item is there something about melisandre how she's able to keep this persona of looking young because seen in season four when she's in the bath and stannis's wife walks in She's not wearing a necklace, but she still looks young and youthful. Mm-hmm. Is that just a way that we're supposed to perceive her as the audience? And perhaps she does just look old and this is the first revelation? Or do you think there's something more to this? Do you think that maybe it's just a sign of Melisandre giving up almost? And when she gives up, maybe it kind of drains her power and, 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 and part of her power clearly is based on her physical appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of people have pointed to that scene uh, in the previous season as as sort of proof that, that maybe it's not the necklace. I mean, the necklace is is definitely the visual cue to us as the audience that she is, uh, you know, giving up some sort of power. And but it does also the the camera does pan to some sort of potion as well, doesn't it? Does it? Well, when she takes the necklace off and puts it down, okay, she, the camera pans onto a table and there's loads of uh, you know those like small column like caskets where you put in potions and things like that, or like oh, liquids. Okay. It's like it was almost like a science, 
sciencey I can't even say it, <laughs> scientific equipment that you put on a table sure, like sure. back at school with Bunsen burners and things like that. <laughs> but the point is, I do you think it's more than just a necklace then? Or do you think that's just a bit of retcon now that Game of Thrones are going to have to be like, oh, crap, I forgot about that scene where she didn't have the necklace on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think I think it's more, uh, yeah, I think that you're going to have to retcon it. And it's not, I mean, it's not that difficult a thing to, to, to retcon. You know, just say that, you know, the her taking it off is symbolic of her giving up, of her, you know, showing her her defeat. Um, but the power itself doesn't actually come from that necklace. You know, it, it can just be a symbolic thing. It doesn't have to be the literal source of her power. And I, yeah. th- I think that kind of cheapens her if, if, if all of her power comes from that necklace. I, kinda, I think that kind of cheapens her. So I'd rather, I'd rather it just be a, a, a metaphorical visual cue for us as the audience than a, a literal. Okay, I'm giving up. I'm giving up uh, a thing when she takes off the she takes off the necklace. So who does her allegiance lie with now, if not the Lord of Light at this point? I mean, I'm assuming. Well, I, I think she's a allegiance less. I don't think she. I think she's kind of having a having a crisis of faith of of you know can, can she believe in the Lord of Life? Like, does she believe in the Lord of Light? Uh, when ev- when she, at this moment she believes that everything uh, the the Lord of Light has shown her has been wrong. And also look at in from her perspective what it's done to her appearance. Mm-hmm. How how she you know I almost feel like that's part of the punishment of her subscribing to these beliefs. Yes, we've seen what it's done to well, I mean that's people just, around her. Th- that's just the factor of getting old. She's like what four hundred years old is what they what people have been saying. I think that's just you know if 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 I live to be four hundred, I'd probably look like the male version of that. You know. <laughs> But I mean, I guess partly the physical experience, but I think just as well, her uh, sorry, her facial expressions, mm, her gestures. Yeah. Yes, she's old, but she didn't just look weak. She looked like she was giving up. Yeah. It, it looked like that just believing in this religion. Yes, we can talk about the age part, but I also think it has taken her toll on her, the way she's had to actively be an adherent to this. And you could almost look at that and say, well, what's it done for me? I'm old, I'm tired, I'm defeated, I've done all of these horrible things. At that point, she's almost saying, I'm going to go to bed, and when I sleep, I probably don't want to wake up the next morning. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, let's move on from the wall to, uh, well, just just shy of the wall, where uh, Theon and Sansa are on the run from the Boltons. From the Bolton, uh, uh, they're hounds, I guess, uh, and uh, they have to cross that river, and that's a uh, you know that that looked cold. They did a very good job of showing that. Uh, although, and again, this is just a tiny bit of nitpicking. If you cross that kind of river in that kind of weather, your clothes really should freeze. I think is <laughs> is is something that they that the um costume department kind of missed but they they do they do hide and even though they cross the river the hounds still follow them and so theon goes to try and distract the hounds to get to let sansa get away and he doesn't do a very good job because they still find her uh and then but then who should come riding over uh, on on their horse, but Captain Phasma herself, uh, Brienne, <laughs> uh, Brienne of Tarth, and Podrick come in and save the day. And 
finally, finally, um, Sansa accepts Brienne's uh, pledge, uh, pledge of loyalty. Uh, so obviously a hugely, hugely significant scene for both characters. Uh, where, where did we go next with them? Now that, now that we finally, after, you know, a season of resistance on the part of, of Sansa fr- uh, from accepting the help of Brienne, really, I mean, she's been, she, she rejected her back early in the season when she was with Littlefinger. Uh, and then, you know, she didn't really, she, I guess she didn't know that, that Brienne was watching her, but she, she didn't really go for that, the help with the candle herself until <laughs> until the end uh wh- where do we go next with this characters and what what do you think the significance of this scene for both of them is a bit like the beginning of many stories in this season i feel like it's the start of a new journey for them it's going to be interesting to see the interaction between those four characters it almost reminded me of the wizard of oz having these four <laughs> characters you know, with the, with, the, with the lion, the tin man, the scarecrow, and Dorothy. And I feel like we've now got, you know, Sansa, Lady in Waiting. We've got Theon, who's heir to the islands, but he would probably be the scarecrow. We've got <laughs> we've got the um, Podrick, who, who would probably be uh, the tin man. Yeah. And then we've got Brienne, who would be the lion. Not the cowardly lion. She's the lion. She's the lion. So... Um, yeah, it's it, just having those different personalities clash with each other is going to be really interesting. But the fact I'm starting to call Theon Theon now, I think yeah. that shows a change in his character. I think Theon Greyjoy, that name, is going to have importance again. We've been so used to calling him Reek because he's just been a servant or a slave even to Ramsay Bolton. But that name is going to become very important. I think they're going to go to the Iron Islands next. That's my best guess okay. Uh, okay because having theon there you get that new and added dimension we also see clips in the future of sansa wearing some sort of fur coat she's uh surrounded by uh soldiers who seem to be loyal to her i i could see that happen the other thing to remember as well though is that there is another clip in the trailer we saw of peter baelish in the snow and somebody emerging in, in what looks like to be a forest uh, covered in snow i wonder whether they'll either bump into him on the way to the iron islands or if they'll or maybe it's somebody else completely different but it's just <laughs> that kind of setting and environment parallel the setting that we saw in this episode so i'm curious what what are your thoughts though yeah. I'd, be, I'd be interested to hear yours well first i'm, I'm interested you know little finger nowhere to be found in this episode um no. but no i don't i don't think they're heading to the iron isle Iron Isles. I don't think uh, those. The, obviously, the Greyjoys are going to play a big role this season, but I don't think that's somewhere Theon would want to go, and I don't think that's somewhere he would want to take Sansa. I think that's a situation where uh, you know Theon doesn't have a lot of good memories uh, with with Balon or 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 his sister. Uh, I think that that's not really. And, and you know, Balon was the one encouraging Theon to betray Rob. Uh, and so I don't think he would take too kindly to having a Stark uh, in his midst. So I, I don't think that's where they're headed. I think they're headed to the Wall. I think that they want to go find uh, Jon Snow. I think that's who they think. Uh, well, they, they, they know he, he was until recently Lord Commander, and they don't know that he's been killed. So I think they're headed headed there to find answers. Um, 
and 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 in the trailer someone it's been pointed out that that Sansa is wearing some stark clothing again so uh it's got the it's got the sigil on it so maybe she'll head uh maybe you know they'll run into John on his way to uh to lead the wildlings in the the battle for Winterfell against the against the against the Boltons so i i think that's more likely where they they will be headed because they've both still got uh, reason to want to fight the Boltons. They've they've got reasons to want to take them down. I don't think I don't think there's enough for them in the Iron Isles at the moment for them to head over there. I think they're more likely to want to head uh, head north and and see if they can get help from John or help John in any way. Well, without actually spoiling too much spoiler alert here i haven't it's obviously not me saying i've seen the episode but i've seen the preview for ah. the next episode and there there is a little line it could be misleading but the uh, ramsey and Roos are talking and and ramsey says something like castle black isn't very well defended Ooh. and he's obviously talking about <laughs> finding sansa and reek so maybe that gives it away but there you go so my theory i do feel like has probably gone out the window now but it's it's not going to be as easy, is it, Dominic, of them just walking up to Castle Black and it's all going to be yeah. fine. There's going to be something that goes wrong. It's Game of Thrones, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, if, even, if, even if they showed up at Castle Black next episode, Castle Black isn't exactly the most hospitable place right now, especially for people who are, uh, who are related to or friends with Jon Snow. That is also very true. Well, I'll ask you this question as well before we move away from the North. But the little scene that we had with the Boltons, mm-hmm. what did you make of the interaction between Roos and Ramsay? Roos once again highlighting the flaws of Ramsay. I have to say, he likes to do that, doesn't he, Roos? He likes to chastise Ramsay a lot, but he doesn't really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do anything about the things that he criticizes Ramsay for doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, I, th- those scenes are always are always interesting because I, I think they show the way that Bruce Bolton motivates Ramsey. You know, he 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 knows that Ramsey is very insecure about being a bastard, and so he he's constantly reminding him that you know even though he's been naturalized, he uh, you know that doesn't really mean he's guaranteed anything. Uh, you know, if he doesn't find a bride, if he doesn't produce an heir, if he doesn't, uh, doesn't do all of these, these things, then, you know, somebody else could come along and do that. And it would be a lot easier because they wouldn't have to be naturalized since Roos married, uh, Walda Frey last season. Yeah. And it'll be interesting because I'd almost forgotten about the fact that we'd obviously seen Walda Frey in a trailer. And a lot of us are talking about the relationship with him and the Lannisters. But what about the relationship between him and the Boltons? Because mm-hmm. I wonder, a little, a little theory perhaps, but this has been highlighted so much. Ramsay's facial expressions, every time Bruce says the words, oh, but the maester's, the maester's correct and it's a boy, well, you know, do we need you, Ramsay? Is basically what he's saying. Is Ramsay going to snap and kill the Frey girl? Hmm. Mm, so I think uh, that could be a possibility. Question. That that would be very interesting. I don't know, <laughs> and that could change the entire dynamics of what's going on in the Boltons. Because it all it, 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 the thing is with those conversations, I love them because they always seem to be a little bit on edge. Mm-hmm. Roost usually seems to come out on top in those situations. To be fair to him, 
but you just don't know whether at one point he's going to hit Ramsey. He's going to, yeah, Ramsey's going to snap. Obviously, yeah. if Ramsey snaps, though, that surely would mean the end of him. But I don't know. With well, the I, I don't know. Just switch allegiance. If, if yeah, that's. Their, their relationship Patri- is fascinating. I, well, yeah, I don't yeah. know what their attitude is to patricide, seeing <laughs> as they like to skin everyone, but, you know, well, See, I don't think I, they I have think, a moral code. <laughs> I think if, if, if Roos po- ever pushes Ramsey to the point of snapping, I don't think... I think then we would really see just how powerful Roos Bolton is because he's the only person that Ramsey seems to fear or respect, and I think that if Ramsey snapped... Roos would just be able to swat him away like he's an annoying fly. I almost get the Im- impression that Roos looks at Ramsey like, oh, you, he does that stuff. I know how to do that, but I choose not to. He's unhinged. You know, where, where Ramsey is unhinged, Roos is very, um, it's very steady. He's very calculating. And, and he will, uh, he, he, you know, he, he probably possesses a lot of the same skills and the same attitudes as Ramsey. And we know he does. Um, but, he 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 knows when to use them, and I think he's a lot more aware of his surroundings than Ramsey is. And 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 if Ramsey were to snap, uh, then we would see just how powerful Roos Bolton really is. And I think he would beat Ramsey with no trouble at all. I hope so because I actually quite like Roos Bolton more so than Ramsey, in spite of the fact that obviously Roos killed killed Rob Star. But I feel like I can at least perhaps admire him more. He's, he's, he is a little bit of a little finger character, isn't he? And I think that was kind of showcased last season when, you know, it, it was kind of a draw if you're talking about a chess match between Roos and Littlefinger, really, wasn't it? Uh, both got something out of the bargain, but neither of them perhaps got quite what they wanted, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, interesting stuff, though, but we'll probably move away now from the yeah. North, shall we? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about Dorn. <laughs> oh um, yes. Uh, oh, I, t- I tell you what. Just before we carry on, we, there was an honest trailer that was released today about the vo- volume two of Game of Thrones was what it was entitled. So it talked about seasons four and five of Game of Thrones. And one of the things that made me laugh, and you were like this, they talked about oh, and Game of Thrones seasons four and five, absolutely fantastic because of the plot twists. But now and then you'll have those moments where you kind of don't want to carry on watching it. <coughs> Dawn. <coughs> Dawn being that case point. Uh, yeah, then the the Honest Trader man was not a fan of, fan of Dawn, that's yeah. for sure. Well, I don't think many people are. No. I, and, you know, I could see some, some interesting, uh, interesting storylines. Uh, I, I think it's, that, that could come out of this. You know, it was, it was an interesting choice to kill Doran uh, and his... Uh, and his bodyguard there. I, I, th- I thought that was an interesting choice to have, um, Ilaria and that other, um, uh, sand snake do that. Uh, so I, I mean, that was interesting, but you know, they, obviously they're trying to set up war with, uh, with the Lannisters and that's obviously very, very interesting. Uh, the, the part that was still a little bit confusing to me was why Tristane had to go. I mean, obviously he's the rightful heir, but it almost would have been more interesting to keep him in King's Landing and keep him trying to maintain the peace while Elaria and, and the other one are, are trying to start a war uh, from his home and to have him away from home and trying to keep the peace. I almost think that would have been that would have been more interesting. But instead, he was uh, he was murdered. He was getting ready to face down with uh, with Jess Pava there. Another another Star Wars connection, another Force Awakens connection uh, before being well, stabbed, I know stabbed well, to the head. I was going to say what I want to know as well is 
I don't understand why he was still on that ship. Mm. And then the second point as well, the sand snakes were on that ship. How yeah. did no one notice? <laughs> How did I thought they, they were there? all standing there by, um, um, what's her name? Elyria, uh, is that it? Yeah. The one who killed Doran. Yep. yep Why, how did they all sneak onto that boat? <laughs> I don't understand it logistically because, well, whatever. I just The whole story with Dawn, sadly to me, it's just a bit messy. The pace of it shifts so seismically. You go from one story or you know a couple of episodes of not much happening, a, a, a chat between Doran and uh, uh, and uh, Illyria, uh, and then the Sand Snakes have their moment, and you have the Water Gardens, the most notorious scene for being the most crazed, stupid scene you probably the ever seen. Worst fight scene ever. <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly at the end of the season and beginning of season six it's just exploded isn't it mm-hmm. it's suddenly become a massive thing which perhaps people maybe don't who haven't followed that story as much don't perhaps comprehend the ramifications of this because marcella's dead mm-hmm. tristane's dead yep. doran's dead yep. the, the entire lineage of the dornish people is gone yeah because illyria is not dornish by birth she's not part necessarily of that lineage yes she married oberyn martell but she wasn't a part of the martell lineage and ha- and all of a sudden as well dominic maybe you can answer me this or not but what what was this all about with the people turning against him where did that story come into this yeah they all just stood there and watched and she was like the people are disgusted with you and i i that story i don't mind it as a concept that's fine i can believe it i just wanted to see something of that some some presence of that on screen before it happened. Am yeah. I being a bit harsh? Or no, no, I, I sort I, of agree. No, I think I think that's very very valid. And and one of the things that's been pointed out about last season is that none of the Dorn stuff happened outside of the Water Gardens. Really, I mean, it was all contained to that one location. I mean, we got a little bit of Jamie and Braun fighting on the beach, but really, uh, the rest of it was was just in the in the water garden. And so we never really got to see what the people think. We never really got a sense of what existed outside of Doran's palace. And, and so that's what we, uh, that's what we wound up with. And, and so, it, yeah, it, 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 it's weird because they, they, they don't think, I don't think they did enough to establish this last season. I, I think they, they really missed the, the, missed the mark with the whole Doran plot line last season. I, I think there was a, uh, there was a lot more setup needed for this moment. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was a, it was a surprise. It was a good twist. I, I'm sorry to see that character go because he seemed to be one of the few uh, sane people on the show, but there's, there's no place for sane people apparently as uh, Rob and Ned and everyone uh, <laughs> has pointed out. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's a, uh, or, or has had pointed out to them, I guess is more a more accurate way since they all died. Um, so yeah, so the whole season I think was a uh, was was a bit tough. That this whole plot line has had has not been as well uh, written as it, it really needed to have been. And so it's you know I I still think there's potential here. I still think that you know. Obviously, the the Lannisters going to war is a is a huge way for them to weaken their power. Um, but 
it, it just hasn't been executed well up until this point. So we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe this shakeup is what was needed. Maybe this shakeup is what uh what what they wanted. Uh, but at the same time, still uh still came up a little bit short. And in, in my opinion, mm, agreed. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's uh let's talk about what goes on in in King's Landing specifically with Jamie and Cersei. So we get to see them reunited. Uh, obviously not a not a good not a good time for Cersei <laughs> not a good uh not a good day uh and she she passes along to Jamie the prophecy that she heard when she was young about all of her children dying and well she's down two of two of three have died and now uh things are not looking good for her Tommen seems to be in a lot of trouble this season for, based on the trailers uh and and uh, but Jamie not so uh, not so hot on prophecy. He doesn't he doesn't believe in it. Uh, what did you make of their scene together? I enjoyed it on on a sort of emotional level from the audience's perspective. I could understand the motivations of the characters. I felt a little bit of sympathy for Cersei. Actually, I can't believe I'm saying that now, but I guess she's she's had a very rough time. But the one sympathetic characteristic with Cersei is her love for her children uh-huh. and that's genuine there's there's a lot of deception that surrounds Cersei and a lot of manipulation that goes on between her and many other characters including Jamie in some circumstances but her love for her children is authentic and what she's talking about there she's lost two of her children now you know one of them was oh, one of the most loathsome individuals you you would ever see on screen and no one really was upset about his death but you know Marcella seemed like a very innocent and nice girl and she got caught up in a mess which was never her fault really was it she she was just put in the middle of this in an arranged marriage and then all the stuff that happened in King's Landing with Oberyn Martell that she was powerless to deal with so I sympathize with Cersei on that aspect that she's lost another child and Jamie's obviously there to comfort her. But again, a lot of this was also her fault because she sent Jamie on this mission, yeah. which did nothing in the end apart from escalate things way out of control. Uh, you almost wonder if Jamie hadn't arrived. Well, number one, perhaps the Sand Snakes would have succeeded in killing Marcella. But would it have meant that the entire lineage of the Martell family would have been killed off? I, I, maybe it would. I don't know. But it just seems as though a lot of things have escalated, and a lot, a lot of accusations need to be thrown down surface. Cersei's way, if, in my opinion. What, what do you make of it? What did you make of that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it was a obviously it's a tough scene. They've done a really good job of. Uh, of making Cersei sympathetic <laughs> at times. I think she, it, it's, uh, it's quite impressive when you look back at the first, first few seasons, they've made a, they've done a good job at making the Lannisters sympathetic. I mean, both Cersei and Jaime, I mean, when you look at how horrible they were in season one. So then to see a scene where you feel compassion for them, not only, and not only when, you know, they're walking naked through the street or, um, you know, holding their dead daughter in their hands, you know, I mean, those, those, those scenes are obviously this is, you know, a continuation of that, but overall it's, it's still a, a very, very, uh, tough, uh, tough 
sequence for that for them and and so i yeah i <laughs> it was a it was a really really well done uh I, I'm I'm intrigued to see where they go next. Obviously, Cer- Cersei has a uh, Sir Robert Strong, the re uh, the re, what's the term? The zombie zombified. <laughs> I'm going with yeah. that uh, version of the mountain. So I, I, it will be interesting to kind of see what would happen if those two were ever unhinged. And you know, we talked a lot last season that something we were kind of hoping to, to see was ramifications ramifications from Tywin's death in terms of uh, you know them being more vulnerable which we have seen uh but also with them maybe being a li- little bit more unhinged because he was not only what was protecting them but was al- what was also keeping them in check and you know the rare instances where they didn't follow that you know jamie's uh, little brawl with ned in back in season one were, were very interesting and, and very damaging to uh uh to what what they were doing so i mean they they, they seemed calm-ish in this scene but the words they were speaking certainly yeah. weren't reflective of two individuals who were just gonna stay lying down in sorrow almost and and, and and consoling over their dead daughter it was action that seemed to be what i got from that scene particularly from jamie and what makes me not laugh about this but it, it seems to be that the children in a way the nature of the children is, is together is very reflective of the dynamics between jamie and cersei and that whole relationship i mean just think about it at joffrey's funeral obviously he was so twisted sadistic and sick and that seemed to be whenever they were around him or certainly in that funeral scene that's when the worst of jamie and cersei came out they had sex <laughs> at the funeral of their dead son, which is sick and twisted. And yet when you talk about Marcella and Tomlin, sometimes you see the best out of those characters. And like you say, we can have a bit more sympathy towards them. So, you know, perhaps almost we should be, we should almost be looking at what Tomlin does this season to maybe get an impression of what Cersei's going to do. Although having said that, her character, like you say, I think from next episode onwards is... You know, excuse the the quote of the uh, Katy Perry song, but uh, no, sorry, Miley Cyrus song. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be a wrecking ball. <laughs> I mean, it would have helped oh, yeah. if I actually got the right name of the artist. Yeah. But there you go. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and we do, we do all. We'll just quickly mention that we do also get a scene of of Marjorie in uh, in prison with the High Sparrow. Uh, not, not too much happens there. That 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 plot line seemed very um cut short last season like we didn't fully get it uh it, it do you think get, that scene the, the scene conclusion. in this episode was a little bit forced uh it was almost a bit shoehorned in there to okay. kind of remind the audience that i think so this story still going on i think so i i do kind of feel like that was uh that was the situation that was uh that was happening there because they you know it has been a while since we've seen those characters and you know obviously one of the things they want to do with the season premiere is both uh, remind you of where these characters were and and set them up for later this season and we do get some interesting stuff between her and the high sparrow i don't think that was a waste of a scene uh but it it definitely did seem uh, a a bit yeah a bit a bit shoehorned in uh but let's talk about marine where we see uh where we see Tyrion and Varys uh, go on that little walk, and there's the great scene where, 
where Tyrion is trying to give money to that poor woman so she can feed her baby, but she thinks that Tyrion is trying to buy her baby so he can eat it, which was just... I mean, that was that was a pretty solid scene, and if, if that's the kind of stuff we're getting this season from those... Uh, from those characters i mean that that's great but the um the 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 big deal here and and this more than anything felt a bit shoehorned in was uh danny's fleet of ships being burned Mm. that that felt a bit uh um i don't know uh, (laughs) a bit forced a bit shoehorned in like i said and and so it was it was a bit odd um that whole scene was nice but i agree it that again was to remind people that Tyrion and Varys are now the rulers of Marine. I didn't quite understand why they were walking around on their own, to be honest. I feel like as being the the power players in Marine, you'd surely want a little bit of protection around you, but may, maybe they had it somewhere. They, they, they just look quite vulnerable, to be honest, yeah. is the way I looked at it. Um, but there were a couple of interesting moments, I think, in that scene. The, the, the ship's one, I almost missed that, to be honest, Dominic, <laughs> until Tyrion said, oh, they won't be sailing to Westeros. So I was like, oh, okay, so that's what they did. It just yeah. seemed like I thought initially that it was going to be something to do with the dragons who were still mm. locked up. I thought, oh, my God, if they, like, I don't know, burned people alive or escaped but no, it was about the ships that I forgot that Daenerys had. But what did you make of the whole priest scene? The yeah. the, the, the Lord of Light was brought up once again. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be an over uh, overriding theme in Marine this season? Well, I I do think I I I think that's a situation where um though we're going to have these red priests and priestesses looking at looking for their their new hero their new uh you know their new azora high uh now that stannis is dead and now that um you know now that melisandre's uh pick has been proven wrong and the two most obvious candidates are john snow and daenerys targaryen and you know you almost wonder if the two of them combined uh, will make some kind of Azor Ahai. And I don't mean them having a child or anything necessarily. I just mean the two of them fighting together. Uh, you know, it's, it would make sense. A song of ice and fire, you know, Danny obviously being, uh, fire with her dragons and John, you know, he lives at a big ice wall. So y- you get the two. So I, I think that's what we're seeing here is maybe a bit of foreshadowing for the two of them teaming up probably next season. Probably not this season, probably next season. Yeah, I could see that. I feel like the red priestesses and priests and the whole Lord of Light story, it's going to be interesting because we know the view that Varys has on these particular peoples. We know what view he has with wizards and people like that. Just look at the priest, you know, who was shipped to him in a box. I mean, (laughs) he's certainly not their biggest fan and they're probably not their biggest fan of him either. So be interesting to see whether that storyline picks up. Because he never really had a story that focuses on Varys, really. Yeah. yeah. You know, he, he's been involved in other people's storylines very heavily, don't get me wrong. But if not, apart from that one episode with, the, with him, uh, as I said, that pre-shipped in a box to him, that's about it. I'd be interested to see if we perhaps expand on his character a bit more. Mm-hmm, Yeah. 
Yeah, there. I was watching a great uh, theory video by by Alt Shift X on YouTube, and he sort of laid out a lot of uh, a lot of the the plot lines that Varys has been involved in, and a lot of the clues about what he's been doing, and and, and some suggestions for where that might be going. And it seems like that might be somewhere where the show and the book have and the books have diverged a bit, and they they might not uh, they might not follow the same story necessarily. Uh, so, and that would seem to be more uh, book focused, and 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 so it would be nice to get a little bit more about him on the show. Absolutely. Uh, but let's let's move on from that. Uh, well, let's talk about Danny and the the Dothraki. And so we we get these these really great scenes. Well, the, these scenes of her walking through the or walking as the Dothraki prisoner. Uh, she's listening uh, to those Dothraki. Um, guys saying what they're going to do to her, uh, you know, really awful stuff. Uh, but they don't realize she can understand them. And I love the way she, she, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't say anything until the moment when she does. And then all of a sudden she commands the room, you know, she goes from seemingly being their prisoner and, and being sort of powerless to all of a sudden having everybody's attention. And it's, it, it, you know, us as the audience, we know that, she is far more powerful than she, than than she's putting on. We know that it's a bit of an act what she's doing as they're walking through the fields. But that was still a great moment when she suddenly switched over and uh, and took control of that scene. Yeah, that was great. I think that speaks volumes to the way that her character has progressed. Now, In season one, Daenerys, when she first met a Carl. Of the of, of the Dothraki horde, she just had to submit. That was it. This time, like you say, she was the authority in that moment. But what will happen next? I'm intrigued about this whole subplot with the widows of of the Kals, the the, the Kalisars. They they have to go to this temple, mm-hmm. and I assume just. Stay there and weep. It's going to be interesting, though, because obviously that whole storyline is, is, is suddenly been opened up to us as an audience. Will it come into fruition? I don't think they're going to actually make it. I have a feeling that a, a certain dragon's going to get involved. <laughs> but it's yeah. interesting. What did you make of that whole subplot about where the the Kalasars have to go when, when they're widowed to a dead call yeah that that's going to be that's going to be interesting it'll be it'd be kind of interesting to see if danny maybe tries to rally them to her cause tries to uh you know uh, gain some sort of uh you know put together some sort of uh rebellion among the dothraki women you know that could be really interesting you know the the dothraki don't treat their women particularly well so that would be a that could be a fun subplot and you know that's where having a dragon on your side could be really really useful you know just just get a little drogon little drogon action action and and all of a sudden all of a sudden uh those those uh those dothraki don't look so don't look so powerful anymore but yeah i look forward to seeing more of that that should be that should be interesting to see uh who these other women are and and how uh different or how alike they are to to danny and how she can um how she's going to interact with them and how she might be able to uh, to, to, direct, to direct them towards uh, a new path. Uh, that would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. 
and and then finally, well, we do we do get a little bit of uh, of Jora and uh, Dario, but uh, that was again that was uh, one of those scenes that felt a little bit shoehorned in just to remind you that these guys are are out there doing stuff, and to put the characters in the right place for the next storyline. Now they know that, or they they they, they assume that Daenerys is with a, a Dothraki horde, but as you say, wasn't too much. Interesting to see the dynamics between him and uh, Daharis, but mm. I, I, I think there's, again, just setting stuff up, again, reminding the audience that Jorah's obviously been infected, and that's obviously going to come to bite him in the backside at some point, mm-hmm. and, but not yet. Not yet, but soon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and finally, in Bravos, uh, we have Arya. Uh, blind uh, and begging on the street and then the waif is what they're calling her the girl from the uh from the house of black and white shows up and starts uh beating her with a wooden stick and you know trying to get her to fight back trying to get uh aria aria to uh uh go all daredevil and uh you know <laughs> fight like she's a like she's matt murdoch or something uh, which is which is interesting. It seems that's becoming a you know it's it's interesting in, in light of the popularity of that Daredevil Netflix series that all of a sudden this is like the third thing now where, that I'm watching where we're seeing characters with who have gone blind having to use their other senses to to fight. Obviously Daredevil and Star Wars Rebels, and now we have uh now that's going seems to be a plot line for this season uh, on Game of Thrones. But that 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 too was a fun scene, and it will be interesting to see uh, what's up with Arya the next time we see her if she's you know how quickly is she going to learn this ability to fight back without being able to see and and what eventually is going to get her her eyesight back i assume she is not going to be blind forever i wonder whether the challenge is about listening Mm. to listen that's a good to listen to instructions putting it yeah to listen to what that uh Jack and Hagar. Jack and Hagar, that's it. There you go, that's just a new phrase you could put. Jackar, just put it together. Um, (laughs) I I think that could be it, having to listen to instructions um, and obey them, because clearly she didn't listen to what uh, Dakar said. I'm just going to use that now. What (laughs) what Dakar car said you know and it was interesting there's actually a little line when she was sitting there uh being a beggar in the in the scene and there's a passerby who says oh not after what happens that king's guard yeah and she kind of looked up a bit and took notice of that she's perhaps through that learning what she's done looking to also make amends for her errors but to listen as well if she listens properly I think that's what's going to help her. Not just the instructions, but the ability to listen and to be able to hear things will mean that she'll be able to start to defend herself again. Mm-hmm. I think that's the test, personally. I could be wrong, but what 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 are your what are your theories about what's going to get Arya her eyesight back? And another question as well: Is this girl training her, or is she doing it out of her own just disregard for Arya? What I think what do you think? I, I think she is she is trying to train her. I don't think they've quite given up on on Arya just yet in terms of the the faceless men. And you know, as we learned at the end of last season, just because she wears the face of that 
of that girl doesn't necessarily mean it's the same person behind that. It could be somebody very, very different for all we know, uh, who's just kind of going out there in a familiar face to Arya to have that fight with her. So I, I think that's what we're seeing. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we're seeing there. Uh, as for how she's, I don't, I, I honestly have no theory about how she's going to get her eyesight back. I like what you're saying about listening. I think that could be interesting. I almost wonder if she might be able to trick them into giving her eye, giving her her eyesight back, uh, some way somehow. Um, but it, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a theory, but it, I, I do like what you, I do like what you're suggesting about about listening and uh and and whatnot uh so is the, is there anything else you want to bring up about this episode or shall we uh wrap things up with some final thoughts i think we'll wrap things up with final thoughts and predictions all right so that'll do it for this week thank you everybody for listening be sure to tune in next week when we'll be back to discuss the episode home season two of, of uh season six uh the just the description for next week's episode we finally got brand back so brand trains with the three-eyed raven in king's landing jamie advises tommen Tyrion demands good news but has to make his own at castle black the night's watch behind stands behind uh, behind thorn and uh, ramsey bolton proposes a plan and balon Greyjoy entertains other proposals so some characters we haven't seen in a while uh, Bran is back. Balon Greyjoy is back. Uh, Tommen is going to make his first appearance this season. Lots of interesting stuff uh, coming up this uh, coming up next week. But before before we go, just time for final thoughts and score out of ten. So I'll throw it over to you. Uh, final thoughts. I think this was a solid start to season six. It's got me geared now for Game of Thrones. I'm excited about this season. We don't know a lot about what's going on this season, but there's a lot of potential there. I feel like the storylines have made me think, you know what? There's a lot that's going to go down this season, or could go down this season. The only thing I hope is that the intensity continues. At the very least with the Dawn stuff, I do think that at least it gave us a bit of a shock value of that scene, of, of, of something happening, because you don't usually expect it at a season opener. It, it was a little bit weird because it happened in the middle of an episode and you still had the shock factor with Melisandre at the end, but I'll, I'll give them their due. I did not see that one coming. However, I would say that the other storylines were much better than the Dawn one in general. I really enjoyed the wall stuff. That was probably my favourite part. And like you say, it kind of bookended the episode. Love to see the react. Love to see more reaction to Jon Snow's death and the reaction that is going to occur um, as a result. I also enjoyed the scene and interaction between Jamie and Cersei. I think we really got to get into their characters again and perhaps showed the audience what the motivations are going to be for Cersei this season and Jamie really. They're not messing around. And a little preview of next week's episode as well. It seems like he's going to be having a confrontation with the High Sparrow. So a lot of interesting stuff still yet to come. So overall, I'm going to give this an episode a 6 out No, sorry, I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10. Nice, nice, yeah. That increased a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Over to you, Dominic, for final thoughts and predictions. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one an eight out of ten. Uh, I thought it was a great start to the season. Obviously, the Castle Black stuff was stellar. I I did enjoy the the Theon and 
uh, Sansa and Brienne and Podrick stuff. That's is it's good to get those characters together. I'm really interested to see where they're going. Like I said, I think they're headed to the wall, and I'd love to see what happens there. Although I'm interested to see how Littlefinger will factor into this. I, I think I said on our last episode that I think Sansa will eventually kill Littlefinger, and and so it will be interesting to see those two uh, reunited before that happens. Uh, uh, let's see. Also, the Bravo stuff really enjoyed that. Uh, the Dorn Dorn was Dorn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, Jamie and Cersei, great stuff. Uh, and of course, Danny with the Dothraki, really, really uh, overall good, good stuff. And uh, next week, and next week, I'm just excited to have have Bran back. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got coming up. Max von Sydow uh, in the episode, our third. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens connection to Game of Thrones Season 6 so far. Of course, Gwendolyn Christie played both Brienne and uh, Captain Phasma. Uh, Jessica Henwick uh, was back in this episode as uh, Nymeria Sand, one of the Sand, the sand Snake with the whip, who was uh, was going to fight um, Tristane, but didn't get her chance. Uh, she played Jess Pava, the X-Wing pilot in The Force Awakens. And of course, Max Moncito is now playing the Three-Eyed Raven and uh, he, of course, was Lore Santeca in The Force Awakens. So I'm very excited about uh, about all of those connections. And I uh, can't wait to see them next week within the episode home. Uh, before we go, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything coming up on Expression FM this week? Yes, I can plug something now. I've got a new show which has debuted on Expression FM every Tuesday, 12 nice. till 2 p.m. GMT time. And it's, it's a daytime show, so... I talk about current affairs, but the predominant th- good thing about the show is is the music, I would say. Uh, I play a lot of mainstream music, what's out in the charts at the moment, and maybe some songs that people haven't heard of as much. Uh, I also do some tribute songs. Uh, today I started off by doing a tribute song for Prince, of course, who has sadly passed away this past week. Fantastic, fantastic singer and uh, songwriter. And that that's one of my new little features so if you want to listen in then you can do by going to our website which is www.expression.fm you can also like us on facebook it's uh, facebook.com slash expression fm or you can follow us on twitter our twitter handle is at expression fm so over to you dominic and i'll let you plug a bit of the old star wars underworld yeah so uh if, if you want to hear more from me if you want to hear me talking star wars you can do so each and every week by checking out the star wars underworld podcast uh those are recorded live thursday nights at 9 p.m eastern on channel 1138.com and then released on itunes the following friday always lots of star wars stuff to talk about as we uh as we get set for star wars celebration this july and of course rogue one a star wars story this december lots of, and of course episode eight next year and a han solo movie the year after that and episode nine the year after that and then more movies down the line so it's uh it's an exciting time to be a star wars fan so if you're into that uh be sure to head over to starwarsunderworld.com or just search for the star wars underworld on itunes and you'll be able to find that podcast and if you search for it on itunes you'll also get uh the clone wars strikes back which is kieran and i talking star wars uh talking star wars the clone wars we should say uh we're doing character discussions of some of our favorite characters from that series 
our uh, most recent episode is talking about Captain Rex, the clone captain who uh, served alongside Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars. A lot of fun. Uh, we had our buddy Chris Lynn from the Irish garrison of the 501st. Those are those guys in Stormtrooper uh, armor. Uh, he was on to talk uh, talk about Captain Rex with us, and that was a lot of fun. And you'll also find a live from Lothal on the Star Wars Underworld iTunes feed and StarWarsUnderworld.com, which is our Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast. I will be bringing that back very soon to do a little wrap-up of Season uh, season 2 of Rebels. Uh, you, you, but you can also go back and listen to all of our discussions for the episodes of Season 2. And I can now say... Uh, I'm very excited to say this. Uh, if, you, if I sounded a little bit distracted earlier in the show, this is why. Just found out, live from Lothal won a Star Wars podcast award for best TV review wow. show. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so it's our award-winning Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars podcast. So we're very excited about uh, about that. So uh, we'll have a new episode up, and you get a reaction uh, not only to the win, but to Star Wars Rebel season two as a whole. From all of us over there, uh, and yeah, speaking of iTunes, if you want to sub- uh, subscribe to the show, I think iTunes is the best way to do that. Uh, just search for us there. Search for us on on Twitter and and uh, Facebook to never miss an episode. And we all, we're also posting little bits of uh, uh, content there, a little Game of Thrones uh, fun stuff we find, as well as episode previews, all the all the stuff you would expect. Uh, just search for the Watchers of Westeros, Facebook, iTunes, Twitter. Uh, you can follow Kieran at CDogan6, and you can follow me at DominicJ25. So that'll do it for this week. Like I said, we'll be back next week to discuss the episode home. Uh, we'll see you then.